listening to what you shouldn't see. This is Nigh Unwatchable. Hey, bubbies. I'm glad you're back. I'm going to be joined soon by, you know him, my co-host, Harrison. But first, I wanted to do a little housekeeping. I also wanted to set the stage today, because we're talking about a long movie, and you know how we get. We just get going in the conversation. Sometimes we forget our audience might not know every detail of the damn movie we put ourselves through. So today, we're doing a little synopsis for the movie. We're going to be talking about The Hateful Eight, and I just want to tell you about what happens in the plot So as Harrison and I jump around the different themes in today's episode, you'll have an understanding, or at least a better understanding, of who the characters are and uh, where their actions fall chronologically in the movie. So here we go. In 1877, bounty hunter and Union veteran Major Marquis Warren heads to Red Rock, Wyoming with three bounty corpses. His horse gives out and faced with a blizzard, Warren hitches a ride on a stagecoach driven by O.B. Jackson. Aboard is bounty hunter John Ruth the Hangman, handcuffed to fugitive Crazy Daisy Domergoo, whom he is taking to Red Rock to be hanged. Warren and Ruth had previously bonded over Warren's personal letter from Abraham Lincoln. Chris Mannix, whose father Erskine led a lost-causer militia called Mannix's Marauders, claims to be Red Rock's new sheriff, and joins them on the road. During the trip, Ruth learns about the Confederate bounty on Warren's head for breaking out of and setting fire to a prisoner of war camp. They seek refuge from the blizzard at Minnie's Haberdashery, tended by Bob, a Mexican who claims to be watching the Haberdashery in Minnie and her husband Sweet Dave's absence. The lodge shelters local hangman as Waldo Mowbray, Cowboy Joe Gage and Confederate General Sanford Smithers, who is planning to erect a cenotaph for his missing son. Or a kenotaph? Not sure how to say that. I'm reading this off of Wikipedia. Suspicious, Ruth disarms all but Warren, while Mannix recognizes Smithers as a war hero. Warren wants him dead, of course, as revenge for ordering the execution of black prisoners of war at Baton Rouge. At dinner, Mannix surmises that the Lincoln letter is false. Warren responds to Ruth's disappointment by saying his forged letter buys him leeway with whites. After a small talk, Warren puts one of his guns next to Smithers and claims that he sexually assaulted the murdered Smithers' son, who had tried to claim the bounty. When Smithers reaches for the gun, Warren kills him. During the confrontation, the coffee is poisoned, which Daisy silently witnesses. Ruth and Obi drink the coffee, Obi dies, and Daisy kills the dying Ruth with his own gun. Warren disarms Daisy, leaving her shackled to Ruth's corpse, and holds the others at gunpoint except Mannix, who nearly drank the poisoned coffee himself. Warren deduces that Bob is lying about looking after the haberdashery and kills him. When Warren threatens to kill Daisy, Gage admits that he poisoned the coffee. An unknown man hiding under the floorboards shoots Warren in the groin, and Mowbray and Mannix shoot and wound one another. A flashback shows Bob Mowbray, Gage, and Daisy's brother Jody arriving at the lodge hours earlier. They murdered Minnie, Sweet Dave, and all the employees and customers except Smithers, who they spared to create a believable setting in exchange for his silence. Once they finished hiding the bodies, cleaning the store, and hiding weapons for future use, Jody hid in the cellar as Ruth, Daisy, Obi, Warren, and Mannix arrived. In the present, Warren and Mannix, both seriously wounded, hold Daisy, Gage, and Mowbray at gunpoint. When they threaten to kill Daisy, Jody surrenders and is executed by Warren. The surviving gang members claim 15 hired guns are waiting in Red Rock and offer a deal. If Mannix kills Warren, 
They will spare him and allow him to collect the bounty on the dying Mowbray and the deceased Bob, whose real names are revealed as English Pete Hillcox and Marco the Mexican, respectively. Are you confused yet? Warren kills Hillcox. Hickox? Hickox. When he tries to persuade Mannix, Warren and Mannix then kill Gage, whose real name is Grouch Douglas, because what's in a name? And then everyone's kind of dead. Mannix hears Daisy's proposal, but deduces she is lying. When Mannix faints from blood loss, Daisy hacks off Ruth's arm and goes for a gun, but Mannix reawakens and wounds her. I don't know if this is mentioned earlier in the synopsis, but Daisy is chained to Ruth, so that's why she has to hack off his arm after he's dead. Mannix and Warren hang Daisy from the rafters in honor of Ruth, known as the Hangman, because he always brought his bounty to the gallows. But then they are dying. And as they lay dying, Mannix reads aloud Warren's fake Lincoln letter, complimenting its detail, and they share a laugh. And that is your little synopsis of The Hateful Eight. If it was confusing and felt like it went on too long, that makes it pretty similar to the movie itself. Uh, <laughs> we got a lot of we we got a lot of words about this movie, a lot to say. I think this is going to be a two-parter, so sit back, listen, and uh, enjoy yourself. Crack a cold one. Do what you do. Listening to our show, we love it. Hey, that's good. Some yeah, bad. Some people would say nothing at all. Uh, hi there. Hi there. Hello. Welcome to Nigh Unwatchable, the podcast where we watch bad shit so that you don't have to. And sometimes, Bubbies, sometimes I don't even do that. Uh, this, is one of, <laughs> this is one of those instances. I have seen the movie that we're discussing, uh, and it is probably my least favorite of this writer-director etc. Probably my least favorite of his works. And that is Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Also, that's Chris. That's Chris Wyden. Yeah. I'm Harrison Stewart. Um, Chris, what are you you sipping on today? I have, like, multiple beverages going on. I've seen, yeah. I missed lunch today, so I'm, like, two-fisting a a quickly made smoothie right before recording and the coffee also made right before recording okay so i'm putting in the calories and the means to shit them out all at the same time that's that's a recipe for success i've got and you can bubby feel free to you know pull up a chair crack open a a cold one i know i i've got a uh uh the brewery is huh what is the oh the brewery is called untitled art and this is you may know that i have been on a quest to find a not even a good just a decent non-alcoholic uh oktoberfest that's that's really one of the only beers that i very dearly miss so let's find out together if they have done it uh just gonna take a little little sipperoo here a little sipski he's going for it he's sipping that's close. That's cl- it's not it ain't it. Hot but damn. Damn is that so much closer than than most of them. It's not it's not I like the spices, Chris. I like it I like it to be a nice little spiced the fun uh, situation. One. God, I I miss beer because I'm new to missing beer. So I 
I still have the occasional drink, but mm-hmm. I took a month off of drinking and what I earlier this summer, mm. and I guess it's no longer summer, but in mm. the summer, I took a month off of drinking. And uh, how'd it go? And it went great because good because it's good not to put poison in your body. Yeah, but then some, when I like, returned to the drinking, obviously drinking a lot less. Mm-hmm. But upon having a beer, and a, and like beer was the primary thing I was drinking beforehand. Right. Upon having a beer, getting back, I just like was utterly ruined. Like I just cannot handle <laughs> the level. And 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 I drink a lot of like you know like seltzers, not the alcoholic kind, just like mm-hmm. you know soda water yeah. stuff. So my body's used to carbonation, but like the extra carbonation in beer just like ruined me like i was just like taking time away from it apparently means my body's just like can't do it anymore Uh, which is like i guess a good thing but i'm like sometimes i still want a beer and i'm just like no or i'll just have it and then i'll feel terrible for the rest of the night well (laughs) that's what that's what you want out of beer uh no i i like that your body just like assumed that you had retired that function just like (laughs) all right don't have to do it we can shut this we can shut this puppy down entirely. We're not going to need that anymore. Oh, it's back? Oh, oh no. no. <laughs> oh, is anybody manning those pumps? They're not. Oh, no. It's Foam City. Uh, yeah, Foamy, Foamy, Foamy. Do you remember shotgunning? I remember. Lord I remember knows shotgunning. I, oh, I've and shotgunned I like, a lot. I can't imagine doing it now. I, like, can't, I, honestly, I can't fathom it. I like kind of a feel terrible a little idea. thinking about doing it. Like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't. I. I assume Dale. Dale can let us know, but I. I assume they have shotgunning in um, in Canada. But uh, if you are uh, another international listener, uh, shotgunning a beer is when you take a can and you make a hole in it somehow. Uh, in the side using either keys or a knife or what have you and then you crack it and you're supposed to drink it as quickly as possible the two holes make it so that there's some nice flow and it can just ideally go right down your throat um and it's uh it's uh it's a race it's a fun little who who's tougher that they can slug down a beer fat who can open their throat the widest and that person is the manliest is essentially the the way that game goes and boy have i had a lot uh uh of beers put into my body this way not good it's not not something that i would say you should do um it's fun at you know when you're uh already drunk but Golly, I can't in good conscience recommend it to you, nor can I, even no. though it's not that bad, <laughs> I cannot actually in good conscience recommend to you the movie we watched this week, which is Hateful Eight. Nailed it. Woo! From the background. This is oh, one God. of those movies that, like, I, I'm excited to talk about this. I suggested mm. this one, mm-hmm. so a little mm-hmm. peek behind the scenes. I honestly suggested this out of the blue. Hadn't been thinking about it, but I saw they added it to Netflix. This yep. movie is one of those movies where it's, it shows me people's opinions on this movie break down a lot about who they are <laughs> as a Ooh, person. Okay. Um, 
And I don't want to say that that's like a hard and fast rule because there are plenty of people who are just there. You know, we are all ever changing beings Mm -hmm. and no one is like a bad person because they love the hateful eight. But maybe they have some things to learn and life to experience if they love the hateful eight. Yeah. Because this movie is it is in way too long. Like we're talking about a movie where very little plot wise actually happens. Mm -hmm. And yet it is. Three hours, and Harrison... Mm-hmm. Okay, it's actually two hours and 47 minutes. And I looked up, That's because I, I went on Netflix, typed in Hateful Eight, this last night, mm-hmm. and I saw that they Netflix also has the extended version of the movie. Correct. The extended version of the movie is not even a movie on Netflix. It is broken into four episodes for a oh, total wow. of three and a half hours. No. It is just like... No, no. What? What could possibly be in that remaining 45 minutes added to the movie? Like, seriously, what could it be? The movie well, is so long. <laughs> perhaps that's where the interesting things happen. Uh, in the... no, <laughs> okay, so it is It is not... I, 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 I... There is a lot of good that is done in crafting this movie the cinematography is incredible the score is excellent uh definitely not is amazing out of control good out of control good the problem with this movie is quentin tarantino a hundred percent this is the only problem with this movie is quentin tarantino like i i think i i would rank this among the most like ridiculously self-indulgent films i think i've ever seen uh this is just when a creator has gotten to the point that he can he or she or they can tell the studio to fuck off entirely and just do whatever they want um and tarantino did that but why i guess is my main question like you you would think if you're gonna fight the studio to get this thing made you'd get something like Barbie out of the bargain. You know, something that takes takes risks, that really tries new shit. And uh, no, the only arguably the only new quote unquote thing tried in this movie is like trying to reverse engineer uh what's called a uh God, what's that thing that like you perform, people perform it and you go to see it. And most of the stuff happens in, you know, one location or a... Sp- oh, you mean like a play? Oh, a play! <laughs> oh, Chris, you're so right. That's what a fucking play is, not a film. Why in the world would you make some... And, and uh, okay, I can already hear, you know, the pushback on that. Oh, rear, rear window only takes place in... Yes, there are exceptions to this rule. Of, of like, you know, change also, up the locale. Also, Rear Window, if for anyone who would say that example, bad example. That is like, that is one location in like an apartment complex that sure, we only, the camera is placed usually, not entirely, inside the apartment. But you're spending your time like looking around this massive space. Like, yes. I mean, it is... It is not like a one location movie. The only time to make a one location movie is when you're starting out as 
a filmmaker and you have no fucking money. Good That's point. like Primer, Great which is point. a two-location movie. But that movie costs <laughs> eight grand because it's a two-location movie and the producer and the director are also the only actors in it. Like, it's just yeah. like, you know... It's a, that's how you do it, and that's yeah. the reason to do it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like, there, there is a real world... It, it, it is not just that the artistic vision requires it to be in one location. It's that you're working around certain things, certain roadblocks, which Quentin fucking Tarantino is not running into once in this production. <laughs> he chose to have this thing take place over the course of three hours in a single fucking location, and that infuriates me. <laughs> it's so, and I mean, like, for for listeners, it is it is basically a single location. It, in, and here's where my critique is going to get, uh, we're going <laughs> to, I, it should, it would be bad still, but it mm-hmm. should be only one location. It's technically two, because mm-hmm. for the first 30, 40 minutes of the movie, we're in a wagon that is trying to outrun a blizzard filled with uh, Kurt Russell mm-hmm. and and the bounty lady he's captured to have hanged. He's known as the hangman or whatever. Yes. And Samuel L. Jackson, who they pick up along the way. And then, like, uh, what's-his-face joins? Wal- Walton Goggins joins. Walter Goggins. So Walton. <laughs> Walton. Yeah, yeah. So glad to have him, actually. Yeah, he's a great actor. They're all great actors. And yeah. what occurred to me, I was, so I'm re-watching this last night, and I see, and I did watch, I skipped around a few times because it's fucking long, and I've already seen it. But, like, I was like, I'm going to watch, like, at least <laughs> until they get to the inn, Minnie's Haberdashery as it's Mm -hmm. called in the movie. There is no reason. There is no reason for this weird half-hour trek through the snow for the story at all. Every part of the characters that is built, everything that we learn is all through exposition and could have easily be done in a very similar way if everyone just met at the inn at the beginning. So... And you might say, well, why are you complaining? This is more than one location. So shouldn't that be a good thing? No, because in this first half an hour, I lost count of how many times the N-word was thrown around. Mm. It is like, to me, I don't know, when I'm watching it, I understand that like Quentin Tarantino loves, it's, and we'll get more into this, he loves, he loves to use the N-word. He does. He, he himself. He himself, and like across many, many, if not all of his movies, maybe not all, because maybe not in like Inglorious Bastards, but in like almost every movie, the N-word is used, and he puts it in the script. If you read one of his screenplays, it it doesn't say N-word in the script like a normal screenwriter would put it. (laughs) It says, like, he's writing it in, like, it is... He's excited about using it. And the only reason I can think, like, if we're being honest and quentin tarantino was being honest i'm sure he'd have any list of dumb arguments as to why the movie begins the way it does but like it seems like an excuse to say the n-word a lot like it really really does like the whole time i was just like damn we're just like running this back like every new character is like a new time someone gets to say the n-word to to samuel l jackson (laughs) it's just like holy shit like Samuel Jackson and Quentin Tarantino must, like, really like each other, because I have no idea why he would keep doing these movies. 
Because, like, it is it is insane to think about the set. Like, we are on... It are, there are only white people on screen and Samuel L. Jackson, and, like, the most used word is the N-word. Like, maybe... Maybe the and a beat it out, but besides that, like yeah, the end besides word is what articles, the most. yeah, and I don't even know if they do. To be honest, <laughs> I it's, I so it's the bad. Reason, the reason I feel perfectly safe in saying that he likes using it himself is it would be one thing if he were constantly writing it in the mouths of other characters. He also constantly writes characters for himself to play that also use the n-word that's where it gets mighty suspect to me is like but quentin baby you knew you were gonna play that role right there and you were still like oh this character says the n-word a lot it's like does he is that necessary so huh and even if he wasn't one of those people who likes to show up in his own movies it's like um you still wrote and directed it. You created every every creative aspect of this on the page comes from your brain. You know, like you can say some stupid lame excuse like, "Well, I'm just being historically accurate." It's like, why do you need to make a movie in a time where this would be the way people talk to each other? And follow up, no movie I have seen ever is 100% historically accurate. So why is the point where we must be historically accurate saying the n-word and not just finding our way around it because you know what a good writer should be able to do that like <laughs> well so I, I i i i i don't as much mind its usage within a historical context as much as i mind the insistence upon it in this historical context and falling my, back on it as like in my excuse. view making the story have that historical context is all is basically the equivalent though of the insistence of using it like, that's fair especially you don't, you since you just don't need to you just yeah. don't need to i have seen stuff set in times where people would have been saying the worst shit and they don't use it and it doesn't take away from the realism you know, and or, but what does take away from the realism for me is when you do use it, and I just have to think that is the case with like a lot of people, and like you know, a lot of people who aren't white, especially, because how does that not take you out of the story? Like every time I hear it, because we live in the twenty first century, so it makes bells go off, no matter the context in which I hear that word. Yeah, and I am like paying attention. So now you've taken me out of your story. And now I'm thinking about the telling of the story. And I'm not thinking about the story itself. Like, mm. it's a lot of work to make, remind me that the N-word exists. Like, I don't know. I'm just, I just don't see a world where that is necessary anymore. Unless you are, like, really, really telling a story where it absolutely is. And haven't those stories already been told? You know, it's kind of like, at a certain point, I'm not saying we should silence anybody or whatever. Like, I know there's a philosophical argument here. I just think there's like a, I don't know if there's a white creator who can make something with the N-word and me trust them. That they're, I'll just never fully believe you. That like you just had to do it. You know? I'll just never believe you. Why? 
Why did you have to do it? Why did you have to make the world where it had to be that way? You know? You didn't, yeah. is the answer. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I have mixed feelings. Uh, is it a choice I would make? No. Under no circumstances. Like that, that, just no. Hard no. Do I think there are movies where it is appropriate and within context that it serves some sort of narrative purpose? I do think those movies exist. Oh, do I think, I mean, and to your point, do I think that Quentin Tarantino is the man to tell those stories? No, I do not. And that's and what's so frustrating. Not. And Quentin Tarantino isn't directing Selma. Like, you know, That's if it. you want to tell me about fucking Malcolm X, then okay, you can show me some white racists being white racists because, you know, yes. white devils and all. Like, yeah. that kind of works. Yeah. But, like, you're not doing that. This is a fictional story. <laughs> this is a fictional story where you have allegedly, you have on the surface of it claimed that you're taking on racial issues by doing nothing more than showing how gross and ugly it is to zero, zero emotional effect. And that's the problem. Is that like, it there's not, he's not going anywhere with this. He's not, he's not like trying to show, oh, look at how like, I mean, and that's a, another thing that's really weird is that because every character uses it, it kind of gets hard to keep track of like, am I supposed to like any of these people? Or? I honestly think... Well, I think that's one of the elements of this movie is it's, I mean, it, for Quentin Tarantino is a, is a very good writer and he's a very good director. He's he an excellent both writer. Both of those yeah. things. But part of what makes this movie, I also agree with you, probably his worst is that it's terribly written as well, because that is, that seems mm. to be why the N word is used by so many people. Is yeah. Samuel Jackson's character, not lovable. Everyone no. else less lovable than his like yeah. we are supposed to like him the most like that is mm. definitely how the movie is guiding us there and it's doing that just by making everybody else horrible yeah. and like samuel jackson also kind of horrible as a character you know yeah. like he's a lying bounty hunter just like kind of the rest of them <laughs> yeah but uh it's so anyway sorry i had to go on that little diatribe about no i mean it's, it's it's really important with this one in particular because also like the the production history of this is that this started out as a sequel to Django Unchained. Oh, I, did I don't not know. know I don't know your feelings on Django Unchained. Um, I would certainly place it in the lower half of his filmography personally. Um, but I can say this for Django Unchained. He did write himself saying the N-word in that one. Now, it, well, I mean, he did, but that's not, that's not where I'm going. I, I, I will say this. Uh, the movie is at least largely about race relations, okay? That does play an integral part in the plot itself. Therefore, repeated and obnoxious, I think is the term that comes to mind, usage of the N-word, makes sense more than it does here where it's just like, why is this something that we are continually harping on? Is this going to be like a major plot point? That it's like, no, 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 son, there is no fucking plot. There is no fucking plot. There's going to be a lot of twists for a plot that largely doesn't really exist. 
like oh good fantastic that's a that's a <sighs> well with that i think we gotta wrap it i think we're about done uh we'll see you next week for part two